the future of Israel is daunting? And how will this terrifying future come to an end? Will God make good on His promises to this tiny little nation? Turn to Daniel chapter 12 with me this morning. Daniel chapter 12. If all that we had in this prophecy of Daniel ended at chapter 11 with the rise of the Antichrist, we would be left wondering, what is God going to do? We would be fearful. Israel would be fearful. But as Paul Harvey used to say, that is not the rest of the story. The rest of the story here is in chapter 12, which will resolve the conflict that you felt last week in chapter 11. Daniel 12 here fills in some more details about the end times and it helps Israel to prepare for that time and what they should learn from this chapter and what we should be reminded of is that God will not leave Israel in their time of great persecution because Michael, the angel, has been appointed to protect Israel and God will exchange their shame for glory. He will vindicate them. We have looked at the final recorded prophecy that was given to Daniel by the Lord Himself which started in chapter 10 and it culminates or concludes here in chapter 12. The Lord had come to Daniel in radiant brightness and Daniel fainted in His presence at least one time, perhaps two. And when Daniel came to, the Lord explained to him what would happen in Israel's near and distant future. In the near future, chapter 11, verses 2-35, to Israel would be at the center of a 400-year-long struggle between the king of the north and the king of the south. And we know them now being on this side of that history Uh, we know those kings to be the Syrian kings of the north and the Egyptian kings of the south over those four centuries. But the Lord also prophesied for Daniel or, or predicted for Daniel the distant future. That is, His distant future and our still future. That the Antichrist would rise to power and His great victory would be His victory over the king of the north during the midpoint of the tribulation. We saw that last week. And at that time, he would call down fire from heaven, the Antichrist would, and destroy the king of the north without a battle. The Lord never tells Daniel that the Antichrist is killed in chapter 11. But here in chapter 12, the Lord concludes his revelation to Daniel about the end times. And the implication from what we read today is that the Antichrist will, in fact, die and that Christ will reign in the millennial kingdom. Let me read this chapter for us, beginning in verse 1. This is the Word of God. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing. 
one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. In Daniel chapter 12, we see that Israel's future is strong. Before, we saw that Israel's future is daunting, and that is true. But its future is strong. And we know that Israel's future is strong for several reasons. Number one, Israel's future is strong because Michael is on their side. Because Michael is on their side, verse 1. It reads, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince or the great angel who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. At that time is referring to the end times. Remember, we're talking about the end times because in chapter 11, verses 36 and following, we, we turn the quarter, corner from the near future of Daniel to the distant future of Daniel, which talks about the Antichrist and his rule and his quick rise to power. So at that time, at that seven-year period of testing called the tribulation or as it's called here the time of distress in verse 1 called the time of Jacob's trouble in other places it's a it's a period of tribulation trial seven years of judgment that's going to come on the earth notice that this time period is unprecedented in human history verse 1 the middle of the verse says and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. This, this kind of distress, this kind of tribulation that's coming on the earth is unlike anything the world has ever seen. And yet, Israel's future is strong because not because they're going to be removed from it, but because Michael will protect them. He will fight for them. Notice the tense of the verb there in verse 1. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard. It's a present tense verb. It's not that Michael will only come at the end times and then he'll start protecting Israel, but that Michael is now standing guard for the nation of Israel. As we saw in chapter 10, verse 13, he is is apparently uh, given the task of protecting this nation for its entire history. He had fought on behalf of Israel during the time in which the demons had empowered the kings of Persia and then followed by the king of Greece. 
That was in chapter 10 and verse 13. So Michael is someone who has protected them and is protecting them now and will protect them during the end times. Michael's activity in the end times was seen in our Scripture reading this morning that in in verse 1, he stands guard over the sons of your people and he will rise and rescue the people as Bob read this morning in chapter 12 of Revelation. That, that Michael's job is to protect this nation from getting uh, annihilated. And he will protect them, uh, some of them, particularly some of the believers, from, from death. Uh, we read there that there's actually, uh, Bob read earlier, that there's, a, that there's a battle going on in heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. That it's between, there's a battle going on between Michael and his angels and Satan and his demons, they're up in heaven doing battle. And at that midpoint of the tribulation, when this battle is at its fiercest, Michael and his angels will win. And Satan will be cast out of heaven. That's what, that's what it was talking about there in chapter 12 of Revelation. That, that Satan will be thrown down and he will be left to do his work on the earth alone. No longer can he go before God and accuse us before God or accuse Israel before God. And no longer can he uh, 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 go before the people and accuse God before them. He will not be able to do that in the heavenly places. That will come to an end. You see, there has been a battle going on in heaven since the fall of Adam. And that battle is between the angels and the demons and they are battling over the souls of humans of humans like you and me. Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our real battle is not physical. It's not against people who oppose us. The real battle that's going on in the universe is a heavenly battle between the angels and the demons. But... What we learn from Revelation 12 is that that battle will come to an end. Michael will win a decisive victory that will send Satan and his demons down to the earth, never to do a heavenly battle again, never to come back to the heavenly places again. In Revelation 12:13, we I don't think uh, Bob read this far, uh, but but the next verse after the passage that we looked at. We, we, we would see that Satan's wrath is spent on the believing Jews and the other people on the earth. Knowing that he is a defeated foe, he now spends all of his energy on trying to destroy everyone on the earth, particularly the believing Jews. And so if Israel had ever needed help in its history from an angel, from an angelic be- being like the archangel Michael, then they, they will need it in the end times because Satan will use up all of his energy and all the energy of the demons that he has at his disposal, along with the Antichrist and the false prophet, to seek to destroy Israel. But Israel's future is strong because Michael is on their side. Number two, Israel's future is strong as long as they turn to God. Israel's future is strong as long as they turn to God. The end of verse 1 says, And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life. Whoever's name is found written in the book of life will be rescued. 
God has already determined which people will be rescued. And we know that there are at least 144,000 Jews who will come to saving faith during the tribulation. People who were former pagans, opposed to God, enemies of God, will be turned into believers in Jesus Christ. But I think there will surely be others who will come to saving faith in addition to these 144,000. And, and the, the Scripture tells us here in verse 1 that they will be rescued. Now, what we need to understand is that, that yes, there will be a rescue of them physically, but I think the primary rescue is spiritually because some of them in Revelation 12 actually die. Some of them actually uh, are martyred for the sake of Christ. But the point is that they will not miss out on the blessings that God has for them. God will rescue them and provide final vindication for them. Number three, Israel's future is strong because the dead will be raised. Israel's future is strong because the dead will be raised. Here in verse 2, we have a promise of the final resurrection. Many of those who sleep, or the final couple resurrections, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting, uh, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now, at first read, this sounds like a general resurrection of all people at one time. And it is true that there will be a resurrection of all people, but it won't be at one time. Because we know from Revelation 20 that there will be an interval of 1,000 years between those two primary resurrections. There will be a resurrection of the living, that is, believers, at the beginning of the, church, the millennial kingdom, and then a resurrection of the dead, the wicked, at the end of the, the uh, millennial kingdom. The first resurrection is a resurrection of dead Old Testament and tribulation saints whose bodies are still on the earth. These bodies will be raised, glorified, and reunited with their souls, uh, with the souls that have been residing in heaven. Now remember, the church saints, you and I, our bodies will be glorified at the rapture. That 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be raised. We will be transformed. This prophecy, however, is not talking about our resurrection, the resurrection of church saints. Remember, this is about Daniel, about his people, about Israel. Israel is not a part of the church. Okay? Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel is, is uh, certainly anyone who gets saved during this church period will be, this, this age of the church that we're in now, uh, will be resurrected at the rapture. But all the other Old Testament Israelites, Jews, will be resurrected prior to the Millennial Kingdom. They will be raised there, verse 2 says, at to everlasting life. They will have their bodies rejoined with their spirits. Now, there's a second resurrection that's talked about here. And it's, again, it sounds like one resurrection, but notice the second part of verse 2 says, but the others, that is the wicked, to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The Old Testament wicked, along with all the church age wicked who have died, will all be raised from the dead. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But everyone will be raised back to existence. Their bodies will be raised, but not to everlasting life. Here, verse 2 tells us to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And that is, they will be raised at the end of the millennial kingdom, according to Revelation 20. They will be raised not to life, but to judgment. This will be the great white throne judgment that the Bible talks about where God will, uh, Christ will reign as judge and there will be nothing that they, have, they can stand on because they did not trust in 
the promised Redeemer alone as the only means of their salvation from the wrath of God, their ground will be sinking sand and God will send them to an eternal judgment in the lake of fire. Israel's future is strong because the dead will be raised. The righteous dead will be raised. Number four, Israel's future is strong because they will have great rewards. Verse three, Israel's future is strong because they will have great rewards. Verse three says, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wise Jews will learn from this prophecy and from other passages that God demands that they turn to faith in the coming Messiah. And the result will be that Israel will become a prominent nation, a prominent people in the Millennial Kingdom. This phrase, shine brightly, most likely has to do with reward for service. And so what we know is that the Jews, the believing Jews, will have a prominent place in the Millennial Kingdom. Israel's future is strong because they will be rewarded. Number five, Israel's future is strong because God preserves His Word. Number four, or verse four, excuse me. Number five, verse four. Israel's future is strong because God preserves His Word. We can be sure that Israel's future is strong because God led Daniel to preserve this prophecy. That's what verse four is about. It sounds like God's telling him to conceal up these words and keep it secret so that no one else knows. But look at it again. Verse 4, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book. Notice this next phrase. Until the end of time, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Increase. The point is not that Daniel should keep this prophecy secret that he's hearing from the Lord Himself, but rather that he should conceal it or close it up. That he should put his seal of authentication on it. If something was officially from the pen of Daniel or any dignitary, they would put a seal of authentication on it showing that this is actually from that person. And so so the Lord is telling Daniel, listen, make sure that this is a certified record of the prophecy that you're receiving from me. Put your seal on it. Conceal it in that way so that it's preserved for us and for Israel in the future. And the reason that it's critical to have this prophecy preserved it's found in the second part of the verse because many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase this phrase go back and forth is used in the rest of the old testament to refer to people running frantically around searching for the answers to the the all the the enigmatic things that are going on in life and in this case the lord is telling daniel that in the end times people will be running around back and forth searching for answers about what's going to happen in the future because there is an unprecedented judgment that has come on the earth. And what God wants Daniel to do is conceal these words, seal them up, make sure that they're preserved so that in the end times, people will be running around searching and finally the Jews will come to the source of truth. Particularly Daniel chapter 12, they'll find out that their future is strong if they trust in this promised Messiah. Number six, Israel's future is strong because God has appointed a timetable for the end. We could say it this way, Israel's future is strong because God has planned the end. Verses 5-12. through 12. God has planned the end. He's appointed a timetable for the events of the end time. Verses 5-7, through 7, He announces uh, the end time. Uh, here, Daniel is seeing in this vision 
the Lord hovering over this river, but there are also two other characters along with the Lord, two other people, and they are angels. There are two angels, one on either side of the river. The Lord's hovering over in His uh, linen clothes. And one of the angels who's on one, one of the sides of the rivers, uh, one of the sides of the river, asks a question. How long is it going to be? Look at the end of verse 6. How long will it be until the end of these wonders? What that tells us is that, that the angels are interested in how the events of the earth will turn out on the things that are going on. I think angels are interested in what we're doing even this morning. First Peter says the angels long to look into these things. They, they look into uh, the events that are going on. Obviously, if there are heavenly battles going on over our souls, they're going to be interested in, in what's taking place even in this service this morning. And in the end times, the, 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 the uh, curiosity is no different. They want to know what's going on with the end times. Very likely, all of heaven is concerned about what's going on here on the earth. And so they ask this question, or the one angel asked this question, how long will it be? The question is not how long before these things begin, right? But how long will they last until the abomination is reversed? How long will it take before this takes place? And that is the question that Jesus is going to answer. He's not saying how long will it be till the end times, but how long will it be before it's over? How long will it be specifically between this abomination of desolation that he's just talked about in chapter 11, verses 36 to 45, and the end of it, the end of all this tribulation? The abomination of desolation, I've argued before, is at the midpoint of the tribulation after the first three and a half years. The end of the tribulation would be three and a half years later. So here's the Lord's answer in verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Before we get to the answer in the second part of verse 7, we need to see the seriousness of the answer. The Lord raises here both His right hand and His left hand. We go to court, we, we raise our right hand. It's an oath that we're taking that we are telling all of the truth, right? Well, the Lord, to show the seriousness of this, raises both of His hands and says, what I'm saying is true. And here's how long it's going to take. The answer is time, times, and half a time in verse 7. Time, times, and half a time. What does he mean by this? We came across this idea of a time in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, where God promised that King Nebuchadnezzar would be insane for literally seven times or seven periods of time. And I argued at that time that it, it would not make sense that it was that, that word times would mean just an indefinite period of time. And the reason we know that is because King Nebuchadnezzar became sane again. That there was a period of time, it wasn't just an indefinite seven periods of time, but he became sane again. It also could not mean seven days or seven months because we're, we're told in chapter 4 that his fingernails became like the claws of a bird and his hair like the, the feathers of a bird. 
not not thick like that, but but the idea is unkempt, left alone to grow out as they were. And that certainly could not happen in seven days or seven months, but instead in seven years. And so the only possibility that makes sense to me is the same possibility that the margin of your Bible gives you here in chapter 12, verse 7. If you look in the margin of your Bible under verse 7, you'll see that the other alternative for the word time is year. And so this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying that from the time of the abomination of desolation, what is that? That's when, remember, the Antichrist, after he's rising to power at the midpoint of the tribulation, he defeats the king of the north. And then he, he, he had, up until that point, allowed the Jews to be worshiping in the Jerusalem temple. But then at the midpoint, he says, all right, out. All the sacrifices, out. All of your rituals, gone. Now I'm going to set myself up as the object of worship. And he makes a statue of himself that's empowered by the false prophet that kills people who don't, don't worship it with fire from its mouth. And he sets this up in the very temple of God. An abomination. The abomination of desolation. That's the midpoint of the tribulation. So from that period of time to the end, the Lord said it's going to take time, times, and half a time. And if we take this interpretation which I'm suggesting to you, which is that this time means year, then here's how we would read it in verse 7. That it would be for a year. Okay, think one year. Years. Two years. So now we have three. And then half a year. So now we have three and a half years. So the, the, the reason that we know this is not only from the interpretation of chapter 4, the seven years of, of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, but also because, notice the number of days that it's equivalent to here in verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination is set up, that's the midpoint of the tribulation, there will be 1,290 days, which is approximately three and a half years. And so that verifies, I think, that verse 7, that the Lord is saying three and a half years it will be from the abomination of desolation to the end of the tribulation. Now, Daniel's confused by this, as you might be as well, and so he asks another question here in verses 8 and 9. So first, the angel asks the question, how long is it going to be? Now, Daniel responds saying, the end of verse 8, he says, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And the Lord responded by saying, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. The, the answer that the Lord gives is that Daniel should be sure to preserve this vision. See, Daniel's concern is, yes, about the length of time that it's going to be between the abomination of desolation and the end of the tribulation, but he's also concerned about the people, his people. How are my people going to turn out? How is Israel going to, to survive this? And the Lord's answer is, listen, seal up this prophecy and this will help them. This will be what they, they use to come to a saving knowledge of the promised Messiah. And then the Lord goes on to explain here in verses 10 to 12 the final portion of the tribulation in more detail. And here He gives us two numbers of days that it will take between the abomination of desolation and towards the end of the tribulation. So the end of the persecution. Notice verse 11. Uh, verse 10 first, just so you can see 
what He promises. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. Speaking of Israel, believing Israel. But the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. Daniel, seal this stuff up. Okay? Authenticate it. Make sure that it's preserved and sealed so that the righteous will come back to it and understand something from it. They will understand the truth from it. But recognize that the wicked, even though they actually look at the words, they won't understand it. They won't be able to benefit from it. Verse 11, From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. So here he just gives the beginning point, which is the midpoint of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation. And he says there will be 1,290 days. Now, in Revelation, it's clear that there will be 1,260 days from the abomination of desolation until the end of persecution. And we don't have time to turn there to Revelation 12, but Evan read it for us last week in our Scripture reading that there will be 1,260 days. And later on in that chapter, the last part of the tribulation is described as 42 months, which is exactly three and a half years on the Jewish calendar. Three years and six months. So we have to ask here, if, if we're going by Revelation, it says 1,260 days, 42 months, then what is this 1,290 days that the Lord is prophesying? Well, I think these extra 30 days that are prophesied here in Daniel probably include the amount of time that it takes to purify the temple. Remember, the temple had been cleansed at the first part of the tribulation and was used for the worship of God. But then at the midpoint, it's, it's defiled, isn't it? It's made common. All the sacred things are replaced with common things. Profane. And so it needs to be cleansed. The temple needs to be cleansed. In the Old Testament, it would take 30 days to cleanse the temple. And so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of these 30 days, what will happen between the end of the tribulation, which you can think about as the battle of Armageddon when the Lord wipes out all of His foes, uh, that He doesn't actually wipe out every single inhabitant or survivor on the earth. There will be some who survive. That is, believing and unbelieving will survive the battle of Armageddon. And it's at that time when the Lord has the judgment of the sheep and the goat nations. That is, He takes all who are... Think about the wheat and the tares. That He divides up the righteous from the unrighteous. And so I think that 30-day period will be used for, for that purpose as well. To purify the temple, to cleanse the temple so that it can be now be reused for worship, proper worship, and to judge the sheep and the goat nations. But notice, He gives another number here in verse 12. He says that's how long it's going to take from the abomination of desolation to a little bit after the end of the persecution. But then he gives another number here in verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Here's where the blessing of Israel really comes into focus. It's not that they just survive the tribulation. It's that they make it to the kingdom. And I think this 1,335 days is talking about making it to the kingdom. So after the persecution has ended, when the Lord wins the battle, there will be 30 days and then an additional 45 days. And for these 45 days, very likely it's used for cleaning up. Remember, the blood is going to flow up to the horse's bridle from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. 
in the valley of Hinnom, uh, uh, the valley of Kidron, excuse me, 200 miles, dead bodies and blood all over the place. It's going to need to be cleaned up in order for the millennial kingdom to come and to be and and for that same land to be used for Christ's kingdom. It, it also Christ needs to establish his political leaders over the millennial kingdom. And so I think these 45 days, these final 45 days before the kingdom comes is for establishing a hierarchy of rulers for the millennial kingdom. So I think that's what the Lord is doing with this prophecy and certainly will all be uh, straightened out here when we get to the end times ourselves. But for now, that's my best understanding of what's going to happen uh, based on what we know from the rest of Scripture. Number seven, Israel's future is strong because God guarantees a purified people. We, we kind of skipped over this a little bit, but verse 10 says, many will be purged, purified, and refined. The end of verse 7 says, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. This tribulation period is a time of judgment on the wicked, but not only that, it's also a time of purifying Israel. It's God's most extreme measures that He has, He will have ever used in order to wake Israel up to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that He must be served, submitted to, and that they must turn to Him in faith. That's how God purges Israel. He purifies them through this judgment, this time of, of difficulty, this time of tribulation. But, sadly despite the unavoidable signs, many will still reject Christ. The end of verse 10 says, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Wise believers in the last days will understand that Christ reigns and that Christ must be followed, but there will be many who turn away from Him. Finally, number 8, Israel's future is strong, so they must prepare themselves for it. Verse 13. Israel's future is strong, so they must prepare themselves for it. As for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. The long-awaited, promised, mediatorial kingdom where Christ would serve as their mediator And Christ will reign as King of their kingdom where Christ would live among them and He would be their God and they would be His people. That will come to a conclusion at the end of the age. The Old Testament saints should prepare themselves for it. We live in a broken world. We don't have all the answers. We see the injustices in the world. We feel the pain of God's delay and so we cry out to God with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? Why are the righteous suffering? Why do the righteous die? How much longer before this battle is over? We're not sure how much more we can bear, O Lord. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. How do we live as broken people in a broken world? Four things that we must remember. Number one, remember that Christ is all we need. Christ is all we need. There is a coming resurrection. 
our existence does not end in death. All people will be raised from the dead, some to eternal life and others to eternal condemnation. And the question for you and I is, what resurrection will we be a part of? The Bible teaches us that we can know for sure our eternal destination. Paul said it this way, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have, in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. Paul was confident that he was going to be a part of that final resurrection of godly believers. Remember that Christ is all we need. Number two, remember that God is in control. Four things to do as broken people in a broken world is remember that Christ is all we need and that God is in control. The opponents of Israel are very real. And the opponents of us as believers are very real. The pain and persecution that comes from following God to the the dismay of this evil world system is very real. But so is our God. He is real. And His plan is sure and best. And He will bring everything to a resolution. What Satan and demons and kings and bosses and co-workers and neighbors and family members meant for evil toward you, God means for good. He is working out everything not just a few things, but everything according to the counsel of His will, according to Ephesians 1.11. Christians, be encouraged. God is in control. Number three, remember that God will not abandon us in our trials. Remember that God will not abandon us in our trials. Because God is in control and because He has given you His greatest treasure, His Son, in order to come to Him, you can be sure that He will not abandon you in your trials. The promise of God's presence and care for Israel should encourage them and and continue to be a means by which they are motivated toward greater faithfulness. And the same thing is true for us. We have a similar promise from God that God will never abandon us. He has not abandoned you, even up until now, no matter what kind of deep waters you've walked through. Hebrews 13.5 says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said in Matthew 28.20 that I am with you all the way until the end. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal as a, as, as a seal of our inheritance. He is in us. He hasn't left us. There's not a time, no matter how deep our sin, that the, the Holy Spirit says, I'm gone for a little while. Come back when things are better. The triune God is with us forever. And so we should be encouraged, motivated to continue on in faithfulness. Remember that Christ is all we need. Remember that God is in control. Remember that God will not abandon us in our trials. And then number four, remember that God will vindicate us. If all that we knew was that God was on our side and that God was in control, I think we would be missing something that the Bible tells us very clearly. And that is, that God has for us peeled back the curtain of what's going to happen in the future so that we can see into the window of His fulfilled promises which tell us that that we will be vindicated. That in the next life, the injustices that we faced on this earth will be reversed, will be paid back in full. 
Whatever you've done for the sake of God will be rewarded in the next life. Whatever you've suffered for God in this life will be rewarded in the next life. See if you can see that here in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I... Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? You ever felt that way? Like, we haven't seen the risen Lord. We haven't seen Him. He's not here physically. And so if He says that to us, thank you for feeding me and and giving me something to drink and clothing me. We'll say, we never did that. And here's how He'll respond in verse 40. The King will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the one of, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Christian, God will not forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Everything that you do for the sake of Christ, He will remember and He will reward you for that. And so we have a great promise that Christ is all we need, that God is in control, that He will not abandon us and that He will vindicate us. We will get uh, many times more what we suffered. We will get rewards that are increasingly greater than the amount of suffering that we receive. What we gave up will be just a small thing in comparison to the great rewards we receive in the next life. And so we, with Israel, are encouraged about God's faithfulness and about His future promises, His future promises that will be fulfilled. And that should motivate us to greater faithfulness, greater service, Because as we do to these brothers of ours, these Christian fellow believers of ours, we do to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the promises of Your Word. Thank You for the additional revelation that we have that Israel didn't have at the time of Daniel that helps us to fill in some of the gaps uh, of 
of uh, what was a little bit enigmatic. And Lord, we pray that You'd help us to take this to heart and that we, we look forward to the return of Christ and we prepare ourselves for it. There's nothing we can do in the next life that will bring about our salvation. We have to respond to Christ today in faith and repentance. And so we pray that if there is anyone here who has not done that, they would see the importance that that there will be eternal condemnation for those who reject Christ on this earth. And Lord, we're thankful that it's not by any works of righteousness that we have done that, that secures our salvation, that from beginning to end it's all You. And we only respond to a work that You've already done in us. And so we pray that that You would uh, draw us to Yourself and keep us close to You, help us not to stray, to turn away from You, our living God, and from our Savior who's bought us with the blood of Christ, uh, with the blood of His, His death. And Lord, we pray that You'd help us to be uh, adequate and faithful servants of You so that when we get to the end and and the Lord acknowledges us for the work that we've done on His behalf, that we say with with the slaves in Luke, Luke's Gospel that we are unworthy slaves and we've only done what we have been asked. We pray for Your help as we seek to grow and to change. In Jesus' name, Amen.